Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll read the first four verses. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run, run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood in your striving against sin. We have been studying in our recent sermons, Jesus, the man of faith. And this evening we come to our last message on this subject. One of the men summarized very well the series of sermons when he said this morning that this shows to us that Jesus is our example in everything. And we are speaking of faith, his example of faith in his own life. This is the way the book of Hebrews presents Jesus to us, not only as supreme over all things as God himself, but also as a true man who lived in every way our life as we live, yet without sin, including the life of faith. He said in chapter 2 and verse 13, I will put my trust in him, in his heavenly father. And the writer tells us that he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a faithful and merciful high priest. And as we look at this passage tonight, Jesus, the man of faith, he died upon the cross was raised from the dead to the throne of God. And now in verse 2, he is commended to us as the object of our faith, and we are to look to him and fix our eyes upon him, the author and perfecter of faith. So as we look at these verses tonight, the first thing we want to see is the race of endurance that is set before us. We see this at the end of verse 1 where he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The idea here in verse 1 is that of an Olympic stadium in which we are the athletes who must run the race. And the believers of old mentioned in the previous chapter, they are pictured here as spectators who are witnesses of our efforts, and they crowd the amphitheater row by row. The idea of an Olympic or an athletic competition would have easily been understood by those who received this book because the Olympics and other such games were a common spectacle in the cities of the ancient world. The Old Testament believers back in Hebrews chapter 11 
They are also witnesses to us by their lives of faith of the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of God, Abel and Enoch and Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses and all the others. They endured by faith in doing the will of God and they are all examples to us of the power of faith. They have run the race that was set before them They have finished their course and they have entered their rest. And now they should inspire us to follow their example by faith that we might do the will of God as well and arrive safely at the end of our course and enter our eternal rest. The great cloud of witnesses that surround us are like those described in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. They overcame because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. The Christian life here in verse 1 is likened to a race. And the writer tells us now how we are to run this race He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and then he exhorts us, let us also, just as they did, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. The race that we are in is not a sprint. It is not a hundred yard dash that is over quickly. It is a long marathon. It is a race of endurance that demands perseverance and stamina to the very end. We might even think of the Christian life as like a decathlon, which includes a marathon. But in a decathlon, there are 10 different events. There is the long jump, the high jump. There is the shot put, the pole vault, the javelin, and various races, and each of them requires different kinds of skills and abilities, and the entire decathlon lasts for several days. And so it is in the Christian life, because there are so many manifold trials and troubles that come upon us. At one time in life, we need one kind of grace. At another time in life, we need another different grace, because of the variety of testing circumstances and trials that we must pass through. In one sense, the struggles and temptations of believers we share in common with one another. The conflict with remaining sin, the conflict and the struggle with the world and with the, and with the devil. But in another sense, the race that is set before each one of us is the race individually that we must run. The peculiar trials and struggles of each person, the trials of one believer are not the same as the trials of another, but we must all run the race that is set before us with endurance. He says, let us run. We must run, which means we must make progress. We must move with purpose. We have a finish line before us. We have a great goal to reach, which is eternal life. And so we must run with direction, with determination. We must run with speed. 
We cannot be stagnant. We cannot be stationary. We must always be moving toward the prize of eternal life. Paul said to the Philippians chapter 3 and verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained it, obtained it, or have already become per, um, become perfect, but I press on, he said, I press on toward the goal that I may lay hold of for that which was I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Athletes who must run with endurance. They cannot be encumbered. They cannot be weighed down with unnecessary clothing, garments, and other weights and burdens. They must lay aside every encumbrance. They must lay aside every weight. And so he tells us in the middle of verse 1, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Every encumbrance, those things which may not necessarily be sinful in themselves, but they hinder us and they restrain us and they are anything that holds us back from the progress that we should make in the Christian life. Things that demand excessive time, attention, energy, resources, things which distract us from the true priority of life in seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness excessive and inordinate desires. If we hold on to such things, then they will hold on to us and they will hinder us in our progress in the way. Just like an athlete must vigorously train to compete in the games, so we must practice the self-denial of the Christian life that Jesus calls us to daily for the good of our souls. The race that we are in is the greatest of all possible contests. Because we run not for an earthly, but for a heavenly prize. We run not for a prize of time, but for a prize of eternity. And Paul could say to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, he says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. And neither can athletes run 
if their feet are entangled and they cannot move freely. They must lay aside, as he says here, the sin which so easily entangles us. These are the remaining sins of, that we have as believers. They are those things that clearly violate the will of God. We read of the laying aside of such things in different passages of the New Testament. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, putting aside, putting aside all malice, and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And Paul wrote to the, Corinth, to the Colossians, Colossians 3 and verse 5, he said, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come, and in them you also walked when you were living in them. And then he says, but you also put them all aside. Put them all aside, lay them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from yourselves. So we have this exhortation in different passages to lay aside these sins which he says so easily entangle us. The only way to run the Christian life with endurance is to lay aside every sin and cast them from us, to walk by the Holy Spirit under the grace of the Holy Spirit so we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. We must be unimpeded Christians, and we should desire to be so in the Christian life. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The key word here is endurance. That is what we all need, endurance the strength of perseverance and continuance to the very end. Where will we get this endurance is the great question here to finish the race. We must finish the race to receive the prize of eternal life. It is not enough. It is not enough to just run in the race for a little while. But we must arrive safely at the prize. Athletes who run in a competition must get to the finish line to receive their prize. Some, some may burst out of the starting blocks with great speed and run with strength for a while, but then they become weary and they cannot continue. And it does them no good because they cannot get to the finish line. And so it is with us. We must run the race with endurance to the very end to receive the prize of eternal life. We need endurance to do so. It is not enough to profess to be a Christian in this world for a little while. It will do one no good on the day of judgment when that great day comes. He who endures to the end, Jesus said, will be saved. Where will we get this endurance? It will not come from ourselves. 
We have no such strength within ourselves. We are so easily entangled by our remaining sin. We are so prone to grow weary and give up. And in the Christian life, we must wait for things that we cannot see. And so who will give us this strength of endurance? This is what the writer has been leading up to here since the end of chapter 10. And we can turn back to the end of chapter 10 for a moment. We see in verse 36 in chapter 10, he says, For you have need of endurance in this race. The believers, the Hebrew believers that he wrote to, they had begun well. But then this series of trials, persecutions had come upon them. We read back up in verse 32. He says, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you, re, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. And then in verse 34, he speaks of some of them as prisoners, and they had joyfully even accepted the seizure of their property. They knew they had a better and abiding possession in the world to come. So they had begun well, and they had accepted their, their trials joyfully, but then as time passed, the strength began to fail, and they began to become discouraged. They began to be, to be weary and disheartened, and some were in danger of completely withdrawing from Christ because of the hardships of the gospel. Some of them wanted to go back to Judaism as a more respectable religion. Because to do so would deliver them from their present hardships. And it was appearing more desirable as time passed. They needed endurance. And the only way, the writer is telling us here in this section of Scripture, the only way that they could obtain this endurance, which, was, which is, is by faith. And that's why he begins that great chapter in chapter 11 where he sets before them the men and women of the Old Testament who passed through all of their trials, persecutions, and their losses, and they endured by faith alone in Christ. They did the will of God and they were examples for all believers of all times to follow. The faith of endurance in the life of a believer. But now as we turn over to chapter 12 and verse 2, the apostle now brings us to the one that he has been looking forward to all through that long chapter. And he brings us here now to the greatest man of faith. The greatest man of faith and endurance there could ever be in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us in verse 2, fixing our eyes upon Jesus as the only one who can give to us the faith which produces the endurance that we need. He says in verse 2, fixing our eyes on him, which means we are always to be looking up to him with the spiritual eyes of faith, undistracted in our devotion to him, with a singleness and purity of heart toward him, never turning aside and never allowing our gaze to fall from him, setting our minds upon the things above and not on the things that are on earth, where Christ is seated at the right hand 
of God. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and he is the goal, and he is the prize of the Christian life, so our eyes must be continually, always concentrated and fixed, focused upon him. When the disciples were in the great storm in the boat, and Jesus came toward them, and Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to walk on the water, and Jesus commanded him, come, and Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But then we read, but seeing the wind, he became afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Peter was safe as long as he kept his eyes fixed upon Jesus. But as soon as he turned his eyes away from him, and looked at the wind and the waves, then he became afraid, and he began to sink. And so we must run the race, this race of endurance that we are on, laying aside every encumbrance, the sin that so easily entangles us, and, and always looking to Jesus as we run, with our eyes fixed upon him. And we are to look to him, because as we've seen in our study, he is the great example of faith. He is the pioneer of faith who has gone before us. And his entire life was a life of faith. In every way, from the beginning to the end, a life of complete trust in the word and promises of God, utter dependence upon his heavenly father, a man of unwavering faith from the time of an infant through his youth, into his public ministry, through all of his trials and temptations, into the upper room and into Gethsemane, and finally to the cross, his entire life was always one of faith, and he could always say, I will put my trust in him. All the other saints of Hebrews chapter 11, as illustrious as they are, in their lives of faith, they were still men and women stained with sin. But now our writer directs us to the one who is above all others, who stands alone as the perfect man of faith, fixing our eyes, he says, upon Jesus alone, who is the author and perfecter of faith. The others are good examples to us. But of none of them are we told to always be looking to him and fix our eyes only upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Two titles are given of him here, that he is the author and the perfecter of faith. The author of faith means that he is the one, he is the giver and the source of faith. He is the originator and the one who began faith in us, the author of faith. The perfecter of faith means that he is the one who sustains faith. He is the one who finishes faith in us and brings faith to its final goal. As the author of faith, he gave us faith in the beginning of the Christian life, and as the perfecter of faith, he continues to sustain our faith to the very end. What we are saying is that faith 
from the beginning to the end is the supernatural work of God through Christ by the Holy Spirit. Faith is the gift of God, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Faith is the gift of God, the supernatural work of God in us. Only he can give and only he can sustain faith. We are the ones who must exercise faith. We must believe. But Christ is the one who gives faith. He gives faith. We exercise faith. But we often lose sight of this great truth that all faith is the supernatural work and divine work of God in us, which he begins, which he continues, and which is sustained by him. Faith is not something that arises from ourselves. If it were, then all of those men and women of Hebrews chapter 11 have something to boast about before God because all they did, they did by faith. But no one can boast before God in any way and even in regard to faith, for faith is always the work of God in us. Christ, the giver of all faith, the sustainer of all faith, the author and perfecter of faith, we are to fix our eyes upon him as the only one who gives and sustains faith. We look to him by faith, and he continues to give us increasing and persevering measures of faith. The one who lives the perfect life of faith in all the struggles of the life of faith. The greatest man of faith and endurance who ever lived, he has now ascended into heaven, and he is Jesus. And so he is now uniquely qualified to be the author and the perfecter of faith, because he alone knows the struggles, the temptations of the life of faith that we must pass through. He has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. He has endured all of his trials by faith as we must live by faith. And now he is the giver and the sustainer of faith as well. And he is able to continually send down faith, fresh supplies of faith that we may trust God as he did and endure to the end and be saved. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the faithful and merciful high priest. And from his throne in heaven, he knows the peculiar trials of each one of his people and all that we pass through. In one kind of trial, we need one kind of promise to rest our souls upon. In another kind of trial, we need a different promise to rest our souls upon to give us strength of endurance. And Jesus, the great high priest, he knows, he knows the peculiar, the particular trials we go through and the promise of his word that we need at any time. And he is able to minister to us the faith that we need to strengthen us with endurance along the way. 
This is what he did with Peter. When Satan sifted him white like wheat, Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And so he does with all of his disciples. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, he sends to us to keep us in faith, to guard us, and give us the perseverance that we need to endure to eternal life. He always lives in heaven as our great intercessor. And he is able to come to our aid in every temptation. He is the perfect man of faith, the author and the perfecter, the sustainer of our faith. His life was one of suffering. And he came to the worst suffering of all, which was the death of the cross, as he says in the middle of verse 2. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame. What is the joy that was set before him by which he endured the cross? It was the joy of the victory that awaited him in the end. The triumph over all of God's enemies, the joy of returning into heaven in the presence of God and his throne, the joy to have all of his people with him that he has loved from eternity, that his joy may be in us and our joy may be made full with him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured the cross, which implies that he did not have to suffer the cross, but he willingly, voluntarily gave himself to the most shameful death imaginable, the lowest possible depth of humiliation, the death of a public crucifixion for our salvation. The joy that was set before him was the joy of the promises of God that we have seen in our recent series. The promise of the Father, Isaiah chapter 49, I will make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Promises of Isaiah 53 that he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The promises of, I, of Psalm 2 and Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 and Daniel chapter 7. All of these promises, promises of a resurrection and ascension, eternal life. Promises of glory and power and a kingdom and a people forever. The promise of Psalm 89, of a vast number of descendants, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. All of these promises Jesus saw by faith and believed, and by his faith he was able to endure even the cross, the death of the cross, for our salvation. The cross was the greatest testing of his faith because everything about the cross was the contradiction of the promises. He was promised a throne, but he was hanging upon a tree. He was promised many descendants, but all of his disciples forsook him. He was promised life, but he sinks down into death. He was promised to be a light of the nations, but darkness covers the earth. 
He was promised the good pleasure of the Lord, but the wrath of God was poured out upon him. He was promised a heavenly city, but he was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. He was promised a kingdom of power, but he died in weakness. And everything about the cross was the contradiction of the promises and the greatest possible testing of his faith. But Jesus continued to believe the promises of God, even as he hung upon that cross. Surely the devil must have sent his fiery darts against Jesus and said to him, how can the promises of God now be fulfilled in you? And Will you still trust him now? And where is your God as you hang cursed upon that tree? But through all of the cross, he never turned back, but he continued to put his trust in God. And the end result of his faith is that every word of God was fulfilled to him and every promise was brought to its completion as the writer tells us now at the end of verse 2 that he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Every word of God to Jesus fulfilled. He has ascended back into heaven. He has his kingdom. He is seated in glory at the right hand of God the Father. The outcome of his faith as he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But then the apostle, the writer here tells us that if we think that we have suffered too much in the Christian life, as they were suffering under persecution, the Hebrew Christians to whom he wrote, but if any of them or any of us or anyone thinks that we have suffered too much and the Christian life has been too hard upon us, now he tells us in verse 3, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. A similar call to fixing our eyes on Jesus back in verse 2. Consider him, he says. He means take a long and careful look at Jesus and meditate upon everything that he has suffered and everything that he has done in his life. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Consider means make a calculation. Make a comparison between the exceeding great sufferings of Christ upon the cross and your own sufferings and losses in the Christian life. And you will see how yours pale in insignificance before his. Consider him and what he has done for you. He means place the two on a scale and see which, are, which is heavier. The agony of Christ in his death under the wrath of God under one side and then your loss of reputation, the seizure of your earthly possessions and your imprisonments on the other and see who has suffered more. Your sufferings, our sufferings, can never be compared. And whatever we do for Jesus can never be compared to what he has done for us. And should we not be willing to suffer for him who has suffered for much, so much, 
for us. He says in verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Perhaps they would, but not yet in your striving against sin. You have not yet been physically harmed. You have not been called yet to lay down your life in your struggle against sin. But consider him and the shedding of his blood upon the cross. Consider him and what he has done for your salvation. Consider the blood of Jesus and all that it has accomplished for you. The most precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The only blood that can cleanse away your sin. The only blood of forgiveness. The only blood that opens up the holy place and the only blood that has purchased eternal salvation for you. Next time you feel that you have suffered too much for Jesus or you have lost too much in this life to follow him, consider him. Consider him who was so rich in the glory of heaven and who became so poor to the death of the cross. Consider him who had the adoration of angels who has come down from heaven and endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. Consider him who has shed his blood to save you from all eternity, for all eternity, and to bring you into his eternal kingdom. As we close tonight, we have a couple of applications from the passage. The first is, that Jesus knows and sympathizes with all of our struggles in the life of faith. There are great struggles in a life of faith because we live in this world of sin and the struggle of faith at times seems very hard upon our souls. It is a most difficult life to live the life of faith because we must believe in things that we cannot see and we must hope in things that we do not now have and so there are these contradictions between what we have now and what we believe will come to us in the future we walk in a life a pathway of afflictions and yet we believe that we are headed toward a world of only blessing. We walk in darkness, believing that we are headed into the eternal light. We have grief and sorrow and tears now, but we believe we are headed toward glory and blessing and happiness forever. We lose many things now, believing we will gain all things in the world to come. We walk with so few here believing that we will have a multitude that no one can count. Our enemies seem to triumph over us now, but we believe we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loves us. The life of faith is a life of contradictions, and so it is very trying and struggling upon our souls. But we know Jesus has lived the perfect life of faith. We are tempted to 
our unbelief, and we struggle with it so often. He was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, and he is a sympathizing high priest for us in every weakness that we have. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so we may trust him and cast our cares upon him. A second thing we can say is that Jesus is able to sustain our faith to the end. That's what he is saying here in verse 2. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who began faith in us, and he is the one who has the power to continue faith in us to the very end. He began the good work of faith, and he will complete it until the day of his return. The faith that he gives by the Holy Spirit, by his ministry to us, is a faith that comes ultimately from him. And it is a faith that has been tested and tried in his own life and in his own trials. And it has been proven to be true, genuine, and worthy. And it is a power of faith that just like all of those in Hebrews chapter 11, it will bring us through our trials and it will be a faith by which we are able to do the will of God and receive what, was prom what is promised in the end. Jesus, the man of faith, is able to sustain us by faith to the very end. And then the last thing we can say tonight is that by faith, our end will be like his. Jesus lived by faith, not by sight, when he was upon the earth. Now he has received all the promises, and his faith has become sight as he is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And the same thing will happen to all who believe in him, that as we live by faith now and we trust in our Heavenly Father, the time will soon come when our faith will be turned to sight and all the promises of God will be exceeding abundantly fulfilled beyond everything that we could ever ask or think. And we will see him face to face and we will serve him day and night forever. And he will be our shepherd and he will lead us to the springs of the water of life. Let us pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, we thank you for the blessed Savior that you have given to us, the glorious and the perfect God-man in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that everything that we need can be found in him, that we are made complete in him, and he is the glorious Savior of sinners. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would bless your word to us, that you would use it for our good, that you would strengthen our souls by it, and that you would increase our faith and help us, give us the grace of endurance that we need. And we do bless you and thank you tonight. Watch over us throughout this week. And we look to you now, Lord Jesus, and ask these things in your name. Amen.